Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I'm Trevor Maxwell. I'm a stage four colon cancer survivor, and I've got a message for other men. You don't have to go through this alone. What does it mean to man up to cancer? It means reaching out instead of isolating. It means having the courage to accept help along the way. To me, manning up isn't just about being tough. It's about knowing that we're stronger and smarter as a pack than we are as lone wolves. Hey everybody, welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. Today I have an exceptional human being and friend with me, Jared McMillan. I did a bonus episode earlier about Jared McMillan and his journey, just sharing a little preview of what he's going to talk about today. Jared is a stage four colon cancer warrior, diagnosed more than four years ago. He's a husband and a dad to a young daughter. He's an Air Force officer from Texas who retired recently after 20 years of service. In July. <laughs> July, yep. And, and so Jared is just, he, he is part of our Man Up to Cancer community, and I'm so thankful to be speaking with him today. Jared, how are you? I'm doing good. Uh, thanks for having me today. This is, uh, this is an honor, and I'm humbled to be able to speak like this. <laughs> oh, man. It's an honor for me. I mean, so I'll take people back a little bit. Like most people that I'm friends with now in what I call cancer land, which is the like Facebook and social media and websites out there that are kind of directed to connecting cancer warriors. I started seeing posts from Jared McMillan and about Jared McMillan. And and then I started learning about his journey and I was just like, wow, this guy. So Jared, you have been through more treatments and dealt with more side effects than any of us can really even imagine. Take us to the right here and now. What is happening right now with you and where are you at on this crazy roller coaster you've been on? I was originally diagnosed in 2016 uh, with stage four colon cancer, and uh, it has been quite the uh, adventure. <laughs> but um, <laughs> right now, I'm currently just finished my 55th round of chemo, and um, I am set. I don't know if I've told you or I've posted or not. I'm I'm going to radiation oncology next Friday mm. to get set up for more radiation to my spine because of the issues um, I'm having with my legs because of that tumor that's uh, pressing down on my spinal column. So, Yeah, so you have cancer. Where is the cancer at in your body right now? Right now, I've got brain metastasis. I've got uh, abdominal wall. I've got femurs. I've got hips. Let's see, I've got lungs. Uh, <laughs> I think that's it right now. <laughs> I mean, you... For having advanced cancer and the metastases where you have them, you're just awe-inspiring, man. I mean, this is going to sound like such a stupid question. I'm just going to ask it, man. Like, ha- And I know, I think I know what some of the answers here are, but as you're facing this advanced cancer, how are you maintaining you know, your core and, and your positivity? I know that that's not positive all the time, but how are you maintaining that positivity, uh, that motivation, and that core of, of who you are? Well, essentially, my positive mindset, my first is because my faith, you know, having, uh, you know, God in our lives and um, we have mm-hmm. a, a strong church family. Mm-hmm. That's been a, a huge key in all of this just uh, to keep me positive and a positive mindset. And um, secondly is my family. As you all know, people have heard my story. We found out we were finally got pregnant in 2016, uh, three months before we found out I had cancer. So after 14 years of marriage, we finally found out we were having a baby. And um, I believe God put uh, little Aria, our daughter, in uh, our lives at the right time because she's been a huge motivation to uh, me and Christy just 
keep fighting and pushing along and being positive for her. Yes, sir. Just trying to set a really good uh, example for her during this fight. Yeah, absolutely. How old were you when you were diagnosed? Uh, 33 at diagnosis. 33. I delayed my testing too, because they said you're too young and I didn't get in for a colonoscopy for four months. Oof. And you just found out that you were finally pregnant after many years of trying with your wife, Christy. The insanity of what you went through, you started chemo, fifth round of chemo, your abdomen perforates. <laughs> you almost didn't make it through that, right? No. The medication, Avastin, it has a black box warning of a 2.3% chance of perforating your abdomen. And uh, Lucky Jared. Should have got a lottery ticket. But yeah, the, uh, the main purpose of Avastin is to stop new blood vessel growth, to stop metastasis. So me healing after a gigantic surgery with that going through my veins and everything else, not allowing me to heal correctly. Right. I said, you know, you got pretty much like a 50-50 shot to actually survive this surgery. And, and you made it through. Yes, sir. You were a medic in the Air Force and training to be a physician's assistant. Is that right? Uh, yes, sir. That's what brought us to San Antonio in 2014. And uh, ever since we've been here, San Antonio has been trying to kill us. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we were in a physician assistant training and I was initially diagnosed during phase one. And that is basically all the, uh, the schoolwork, not any clinical stuff. So I just got into my senior semester when they diagnosed me. So of course, they had to pull me from the program and they gave me a year break for uh, treatments and you know recovery. So that was uh, good on them. So I'm going to read you a little clip from one of your posts here. Okay. I restarted physician assistant training May of 2017, graduated with my BS in physician assistant studies. I then began my clinical rotations. After seven months of seeing patients, I started having back pain that became so severe, I stopped eating and sleeping. I lost 50 pounds and found that I could sleep in my car. So I would go to the hospital three hours before shift and sleep before work. We'll skip ahead to what was going on with you, but I mean, that is intense. So you're in intense training and then you start having this really just debilitating pain. That was uh, pretty terrible. It started and I thought I just heard it working out because I started working out again so I could take a full uh, fitness test in the military. I thought I just tweaked it doing some, you know, sit-ups or something, but uh, as it got worse and worse and worse, I was nauseous because of the pain and I couldn't sleep because of the pain. And like I said, you know, I could somehow I could sleep in my little Mazda three, <laughs> go up to the parking garage and uh, lean the seat back and I'd sleep for a couple hours and go in and start seeing patients. So. Oh man. I mean, and that just speaks to me of your just dedication to what it is that you're doing, whether that be your family or, or your work. I mean, I, it's just beyond reason. Um, but Unfortunately, that's how you learned that the cancer had spread uh, up and down your up and down your spine and elsewhere. Yeah, they sent me to the ER and uh, the ER did a CT of my spine and uh, they said, oh, we don't see any metastasis and, uh, you know, you're good to go. Here's some pain medication. Oh, geez. <laughs> and uh, my provider was like, uh, no, we're not going home. So she pulled me down to the MRI uh, section of the hospital and uh, pretty much demanded to get an MRI. Right. And they said, if he can stay till seven o'clock tonight, he can get it. And I said, I, I got nowhere else to be. Yeah. <laughs> kind of critical information. Yeah. So we waited and got the MRI and I had just finished a rotation with labor and delivery on that Friday. And uh, so my next rotation was doing a family health clinic, uh, seeing patients there. And Monday morning, you know, I got there and uh, it had got to this point where I was wearing pain patches all over my spine and I had a TENS unit and I was taking, you know, Motrin and stuff. So I could keep working. So at this point, it was that bad. And I got a phone call 
uh, when I was seeing my second patient and they said, Hey, uh, Sergeant McMillan, we, uh, we uh, got your MRI results back. You've got 12 tumors up and down your spine and we're pretty afraid of your vertebrae collapsing on itself. So we need you to get in your car and very slowly drive here so we can get you admitted. <laughs> so a little bit of a difference between, yeah, go take these pain meds and yeah, your spine might be collapsing. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> we could spend like a whole day talking about the treatments and the surgeries and everything else. So I'm going to just fast forward to you're in a place where you are still actively fighting. What's your mindset right now in terms of the battle and where you're at? I had posted a couple months ago that they had to change up my protocol due to some of the brain meds kind of mm-hmm. uh, acting up. So right now, instead of coming in every two weeks for my treatment, I come in three to five times a week now. And basically that's because I get a infusion every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday of paracalcitol, which is basically just like a super vitamin infusion. Yep. I've also been switched back to uh, the full Fox regimen that I started on because my uh, doctor said you didn't technically fail it. The Avastin just, you know, kind of. Right. So I'm not on Avastin <laughs> right now. I'm on full Fox. I actually figured out a trick that I saw on another website to uh, chew on ice while you're going through the oxy infusion. And it's actually done really good for me. I was drinking uh, ice water while during the oxy. And right now I'm drinking uh, iced tea and I have no problem. So that's chewing on icing is kind of a kind of working. So I'm going to keep doing it. Absolutely. And a shout out to our friends at Colentown who've been championing the ice protocol. That's awesome. I've seen that there and I'm on another page. I think it's colon cancer with liver mets that also mentioned it. So if anybody's out there on it, you know, try it because it's been working for me and other people. <laughs> so Jared, when did you start sharing your story publicly, I guess, and then through social media? Essentially the day I was diagnosed. I've been on Facebook since 2009, yep. I think. I've been posting that I've been feeling kind of bad during uh, phase one of the PA school because I'm not going to get into the details, but basically I couldn't sit through a 50 minute class without going to the bathroom five or six times. And I kept going to the doctor and they would just throw medication at me and it wouldn't work. And then they Mm. said, well, you're too young to have colon cancer. So let's try this. And finally, after, you know, I told you after four months, I got it done, but the doctors were like, oh my gosh, you have cancer. I was like, <laughs> yeah, you didn't wait to start sh- Like some people. Right at that yeah. moment. Like okay. I went in, I was telling everybody, hey, I'm going in for my colonoscopy. I was kind of joking about it. You know, I'm only 33 years old and I got to get this done. And, you know, trying to be lighthearted about it because you're trying to distract your brain from what's actually happening. So during my colonoscopy, you know, most people say, you know, hey, it's just an easy thing. You'll just go through it, wake up on the other side. I woke up during my colonoscopy because the tumor was so large, they couldn't pass the uh, speculum past it. And I woke up because it was taking so long. And, you know, I'll wake up to see all these doctors standing around the giant screen, shaking their heads. And (laughs) they put me back to sleep. So after that, you know, I woke up and they said, well, we're pretty certain you have colon cancer. We'll call you back in on Monday and uh, we'll let you know. On Monday, they called me in and said, yeah, you do have colon cancer. We got to set up all this stuff. So at that moment on Facebook, I put that, um, you know, I just found out I was diagnosed with colon cancer. And at that moment, you know, being a, a rookie cancer person, <laughs> you're just scared to death. Oh, yeah. You know, you're, you're asking for prayers. You're in shock. Yes. My wife is pregnant. I have no idea what I'm going to do. I finally get to be a father. Now I'm not going to get to be a father. Because when you hear the C word, you know, cancer, you automatically think I'm done. Oh, yeah. I'm with you, man. <laughs> but yeah, that's when I started sharing my story. And um, pretty much after that, every treatment, every doctor's visit, I would put something on Facebook saying, hey, here's the update. So people would kind of keep on track on what was going on. So for anyone who, anybody who follows Jared 
on Facebook, like I do, realizes that they're seeing something special, his honesty and his sharing and his ability to inspire and connect. Not everyone has those abilities. It's just, that's a fact. So at what point did you sort of get the sense of, hey, you know, people are really responding to what you're saying about your journey and the experience of cancer? Like, did that kind of happen right away? Or did it take a while for you to start hearing from others and really making those connections? That really started happening with people you know, contacted me and stuff like that after the abdominal perforation. Mm-hmm. You know, I talked about it a blessing in disguise because my tumor, they was in, inoperable at first, but when my abdomen perforated, they got in there and it was actually operable. So they actually got to take the entire tumor out. So, um, I started speaking about how, you know, God speaks to us in our life and, you know, that's another blessing, you know, that happened. And, um, the only time I got to meet that individual called Ned that we all know in the cancer world. And for those who are listening and not familiar with it, Ned or, or Nedville is uh, no evidence of disease. It's kind of the holy grail for us cancer patients. That's what we're looking for. And in November of 2016 is the only time I heard that word mentioned. And I was at MD Anderson, the big cancer center in Houston, Texas. And they did all their scans and said, you know, you're no evidence of disease. You're good to go. And that was like, oh my gosh, you know. Hall pass. From that moment on, yeah. That's kind of what got it started with that abdominal perforation. And from that point on, I started getting friend requests from people I had no idea who they were. And uh, it just said, you know, a couple of mutual friends with this person. And then people were saying, hey, can this person be your friend on Facebook because they're going through cancer or their family member is? So that's really where it kicked off right there. Let's talk about a couple of the themes of man up to cancer and us being guys with cancer. So you and I both really cherish our roles as husbands, fathers, as workers, as contributors to our society and our communities. Those are the ways that we define ourselves as men. When cancer came along and the way things have been over the past four years, in what ways have, has cancer challenged those roles in your life and how, you, and, and how have you adapted? Essentially, uh, you know, cancer really um, put a roadblock in what I was trying to do for my family because the, the PA school mm. was my family goal since 2009. I've, I was taking classes to get into it. You know, that was going to be a huge part of, uh, you know, my, my income, you know, becoming a medical provider and doing something that I loved, you know, taking care of patients. And that completely flipped everything on its head. Right. My goal and what I was betting on taking care of my family was not taken away from me. Right. I kind of felt like, you know, what am I going to do now? I have to provide for my family. This is my job. Right. Now I can't. I didn't want, uh, you know, I didn't want my, my wife, I didn't want her to think I was giving up or anything. I just was completely lost at that point. I didn't know what to do. Absolutely. Kind of just changed everything. You know, we say, you know, we make plans, but you know, God can change them at any time. So <laughs> at that point, it, I was just like, I have no idea what I'm doing now. <laughs> and I guess on that professional track, then there's some things that you have been in the thick of treatment and surgery and treatment and surgery pretty much this whole time you know, that track that you had and those intentions that you had were not available to you anymore. Have you been able to channel taking care of your family? I mean, a lot of that was taken away, but you found different ways of doing that. And maybe, maybe it isn't so much about a profession or finances anymore. Maybe it's a different way. Also as a father and a husband, I felt Mm. like I couldn't do as good a job as taking care because, you know, you feel weak. Yes. All the surgeries and all these side effects, they just knock you down. And, um, things that you would usually help with or do around the house, you know, you you're like, I'll do it. And you huh. just feel like I just can't do it. I yeah. <laughs> as far as financially and things like that, um, part of my fight was actually getting, being able to stay in the military. 
Because once I was diagnosed, they immediately started trying to, you know, medically retire me. Because mm. I was no longer, I, I guess I could say useful. Because I can't deploy, you know, I can't go overseas because I have chemo. I can't just pack up my chemo and go to Afghanistan. Sure. <laughs> I was kind of like a, a broken cog in this wheel now. Mm. And um, so they started trying to medically retire me. The thing that delayed it was, uh, you know, when I went to NED and got to go back to school and was doing very well and doing all that stuff. But when the recurrence happens, that's when they, again, restarted trying to medically retire me. I fought it, went all the way up to D.C. with these uh, challenges and we finally won the battle and uh, they let me stay in for my 20 so I can get my full retirement pay. And that is a part of actually being able to take care of my family. Hell yeah. Can't be a PA, but I can still get my full retirement pay from the Air Force for 20 years of service. And that helps immensely with being able to take care of my family financially in that portion. So absolutely well-deserved and good for you for standing up for what was right. And I guess just from the outside, it appears to me that you have found a way to demonstrate the qualities of yourself as a man in terms of the strength that you have summoned to to not only get through all this without just staying down on your knees and not only get through, but then you're inspiring hundreds, if not thousands of people out there who are facing similar circumstances. Have you found strength in doing that? Uh, yes, sir. Actually, when I first started back working full-time, in uh, January of 2019, that was after I recovered from the brain surgeries and everything else. There's a thing they have at the hospital I'm at called storytellers. And people tell their stories of resilience and adversity. And they ask me, hey, do you want to tell your story? And I said, you know, sure, if it can help anyone, you know, I'll do it. And so I shared my story in front of a bunch of people in the auditorium in the hospital. That was another moment in my life when I realized that, hey, this is really helping people. Yes. Because I had so many people come up to me and talk to me about how it affected them and how they could go back to their family member that had cancer or their friend and they can talk to them. And at that point, I started being asked to come talk to different uh, squadrons and commands around San Antonio. So I've done a lot of speaking engagements with a pretty big crowds uh, regarding adversity and resilience, just telling people, you know, no matter what you're going through, it doesn't have to be cancer. It can be anything, you know, don't let it knock you down and keep you down, you know, mm. get up, you know, find people that can help you get up, dust yourself off and keep pushing forward because life's not fair. You know, nowhere on your birth certificate did it say it's fair. <laughs> you're going to get knocked down no matter what it is. You'll face it head on. And if you need help, you find it. And if you need to make a plan to bring it down, you do it. You can't do it all in one day, then you do it a day at a time. But just keep pushing forward and fighting because uh, if you don't fight, you're not moving forward and you're one step closer to the other side. So get up, fight, and just keep helping others and pushing forward. Yeah, keep going on that, man. The two hashtags that you use on Facebook, faith, family, fight, and never, ever quit. Talk about never, ever quit for a little bit and keep going on that mission to really inspire and motivate. The never, ever quit. I actually uh, got that. You know, I'm from Texas. I'm a huge Texas Rangers fan, baseball fan. And uh, that mm. was one of their little uh, hashtags about five, six years ago. And I just remembered it when I got cancer. I was like, yeah, that's that's what this is. Perfect. No matter what happens to me during this, I'm not going to quit. You know, at the time, like I said, being a rookie cancer patient, you're thinking like, I'm scared to death. And I don't know what, I don't know what chemo is going to do to me. I don't know any, I don't know what question to ask. My first oncologist was actually very negative. You know, I kind of get it. it. The job they have is not easy. Yeah. But anything me and my wife asked, he had a negative tone on it. Mm -hmm. Just like, 
okay, well, that's fine. <laughs> you can order our meds, but we don't really like you that much. <laughs> but um, <laughs> well, we went completely opposite direction to him because we asked him, can we change our diet? Can we do anything else? He's like, you can do whatever you want. You know, you're stage four. And I was like, <laughs> great. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you're fired. I actually did end up firing him at my recurrence. I, I can tell you about that later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but through all of the adversity, like the abdominal perforation, you know, that happened. And that was the worst pain of my life at the time. You know, my wife, uh, I woke up before getting whirled back to surgery. She said, don't leave us. That's the last thing I remembered. Then I woke up in the ICU and I was <sighs> like, well, this is, this is time to start. So uh, as soon as I could, I got up. The physical therapy people came by. I got up and started doing walking with them. Um, I had a wound vac. Basically, my abdomen was left open to uh, heal, and there was a wound vac on it that helped it heal. So I had to carry that around, and I had, you know, I was the brand new owner of an ostomy bag as well. So a lot of changes in my life, but we just kept taking, you know, that motto: we're not quitting, and we're going to get used to this, and we're going to fight through this, and we just kept going. When I think about never ever quitting, I think of you. You're a champion of doing what you can where you are. I think of your iron therapy. So iron therapy for, for Jared is he, he loves to lift weights and, and get in the gym and pump iron. And, and that's a real place of strength and power for you. And I know for a lot of guys that I know, but there have been times when you have been you know extremely limited. And obviously now you, you can't do what you did before, but part of never ever quit is if you can only do you know X, then do X. That's right. You can only walk around the couch to walk around the couch. You can only, you know, walk around your house or just walk from the fridge to the couch. You know, whatever you can do, you know, I tell people to do it because a lot of people, we're on a lot of cancer support pages, me and you, and you can see people and they start to get on that edge of giving up. Yes. You know, you try to try to turn that around because I just posted on a guy's page earlier. It's just like, this is, this is not fair. This is not easy. You know, why, why does that guy over there who's smoking and looks, you know, he's eating all that food and he's (laughs) out of shape. Why does he get to keep going forward? Right. Trying to take care of my body and everything, being healthy. I get cancer. So that stuff goes through your head and you want to give up. But in the end, if you can make it through this, all this challenging circumstances, side effects, anything like that, each time something happens, tear you for the next battle. And it's those small victories. It's the... Like I remember after, you know, so I've had not that many surgeries. I've had a colon resection and two liver resections. But I remember after, especially after the liver ones, walking, you know, maybe 20 feet down the hallway, my first walk after and thinking like, okay, like that that's where you start. Like sometimes it is, like you say, it's just, it's the smallest, simplest things. That's where you have to keep going. Because if you start comparing it to like, oh man, I can't do this anymore or can't do that anymore. That's a black hole you can get into. Like you're going to end up nowhere good if you go down that path. Yeah. How you started off just those first steps. That's uh, that's how it begins. And um, you can look back on that and say, hey, that's where I started from and look at me now. So <laughs> so talk a little bit about your relationship with your wife, Christy. With my wife, Sarah, we've talked about this, like both your relationship and our relationship are very similar. High school sweethearts, been together most of our lives you know, uh, and, and then all of a sudden you go from like, I went from being Trevor, the husband to all of a sudden I had to be in this role of Trevor, the patient as well. And she had to be Sarah, the caregiver. And those roles aren't things that we asked for or expected. There has to be a balancing line there too, because it's just the realities of cancer. So talk to me about Christy and and what she has meant to you just when we're talking about your, you know, your cancer journey. Yeah. She, um, you know, like I said, she didn't get to have a normal pregnancy. She got pregnant, then I got cancer. 
you know, there wasn't all the, we still planned for the baby, you know, thinking of names mm. and, you know, doing all that stuff that I didn't get to pamper her or, you know, do all the kind of things like it's your right. first baby, you know, I'm going to just care of you and all this stuff. She had to take care of me essentially. She, uh, I think she missed her calling as a nurse because the first night I got discharged after the abdominal perforation, like I said, I was a proud new owner of the, uh, the you know, the ostomy bag and all that stuff. I had a major issue with it and um, I was freaking out. I was panicking and uh, she basically said, you know, lay down, just shut up, stop, stop screaming, <laughs> it's going to be okay. Got all the materials out, redressed it, and I was good to go. And I was like, wow, where did this come from? Like, <laughs> She just, uh, she just did it without thinking. She didn't blink an eye. And uh, since I had the open abdomen and I had the wound vac, they can stop working quite a bit and start alarming. And it's usually at midnight when that happens. My uh, wound nurse that came every other day to change that out taught both of us how to change it and, you know, what to do in emergencies. And she, she listened and she could help me every time something happened with it. And she was just, you know, amazing with everything. And she still has been with this everything during our cancer journey. I mean, we have a, almost a four-year-old daughter now. And you can imagine going through this with a newborn and a toddler and, you know, infant. Having your husband have cancer, but you're still taking care of the baby and your husband at the same time, which was essentially a big baby. <laughs> like I said, she didn't blink an eye when I got diagnosed. Basically, she said, well, what's next? What are we doing? How do we fight this? And uh, that's essentially how she's been through the entire journey. She has just been amazing. I, I can't even imagine where I'd be without her right now. <laughs> yeah, same thing. And just real briefly on Sarah, like she usually passes out at the sight of blood, but somehow she was able to do what Christy did, which is do all kinds of horrible stuff with my dressings and wounds and stuff without a complaint. And uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I, we're blessed, man. We are blessed. Oh, yes. Very blessed. <laughs> um, with all the motivation and inspiration, because that is definitely a core of, of who you are, you also have been honest about the darker emotions, fear, sadness, anger. So rather than pushing those feelings away or denying that they even exist, you have shared about those as well. So why was that important for you? And, and did that take time to come for you? It did have to take time because I've had, uh, you know, ever... Ever since I became a more of a leadership position in the military and leading people and things like that, I didn't particularly like showing that I had weakness right. because uh, I didn't want my troops or anybody else to uh, see that side of me. So 2020 has been a, a roller coaster <laughs> for everyone. And um, it seems like this year, every time I turn around, something's hitting me in the head. Um, you know, literally, uh, like I have to have brain surgery and, uh, then I have to have brain radiation, which causes all these side effects. And I have to be seen in the burn unit because of the side effects on my skull and everything else. And yeah. And for those of us who followed the burn part of this journey for you, like, oh my God, like all of us are just like, come on, can this guy really go through any more? Like, you know, those images of those burns were just horrific. And here you are, here's Jared. Like, you know, it got the smile on his face, like, it's one of those things where I think if you're not a patient, maybe you even, it's too much for you to look at. Yeah. But when you are a patient or someone impacted by cancer, it's like, wow, thank you for sharing that. But 2020 has been rough on you. It's been that way, like every month or something. It's like, what? Something else? Like, come on. <laughs> right. So, so, right. So the sharing of the darker stuff, did that? Basically, all that stuff has been building and building and building. Hmm. And I talk to Christy as much as I can, but, you know, like I said, sometimes I wear a false mask of happiness. Right. You don't want to sit there and, and talk to your your spouse about all those feelings, especially the ones. Yes, you want to be open and honest, but but also there's some things that it's just not a spouse role to, to listen to. 
And finally, one day I just started crying and didn't stop for two hours. <laughs> and yep. uh, she basically said, you know, this is, you know, you should have talked to me. You got to open up about this. And she, um, she essentially got talked me into, you know, to getting in with a therapist and talking with them and seeing what they could help me with. So I, uh, you know, I finally got in with the therapist and spoke to them and, um, you know, got some tips and stuff in, in, in regards to helping with this process. <laughs> I brought that up because that was one of my favorite posts. Like, I love all of your posts and I love all the inspiration and motivation, but I also love that you're willing to say, hey, like I needed help because saying that you saw a counselor, like there's some guys, some men who just reject the idea of accepting help in any form because, you know, guys shouldn't need help, you know, but now they see Jared, you know, Air Force badass, tough as they come. I mean, I've seen some of the photos of you back in the day. Your arms are like just enormous. I'm like, wow. I mean, so if someone like Jared can say, you know what, Hey, I've, I've reached out for help. If, if you're saying that to me, that's revolutionary. Like giving guys that permission to say, you don't have to give up your toughness. You can keep your man card and getting some help doesn't change that. In fact, it shows that you care enough about your family to do whatever it takes to get through this. And sometimes whatever it takes means saying you can't do everything on your own. That's right. That's right. Have there, have there been other things that you've had to say, like, accept help? Yeah. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people, too, on the pages like that. And hmm. essentially, you know, your man card or I'm, I don't need help. I am a man. I'm tough enough to get through this. Leave me alone. Right. You know, you'll get to that point. I think everybody is, is going to get to that point if you have that mindset where you find that you can't do this alone. And you said, you know, something really good right there. This shows what you will do to help, you know, still be with your family and help yourself to still be there for them all the time if you will step up and get help. Right. Not getting help, it just leads to badness and just, you know, your mindset's wrong and reach out for help, you know. Yeah, exactly. And, and what I always say is that reaching out for help looks different to different people. Sometimes it's counseling. Like I've used counseling. It's been amazing for me. Other people have too, but there's other tools out there. You know, maybe you're a guy with cancer and you you don't want to do counseling, but you do want to maybe hang out with other guys who have cancer. So you find a local group or, or something like maybe you just ask for help in general. Like you go to people and say, Hey, I need help with X, Y, and Z around my house or in my life or this and that it's so there's different ways to say like, I can't handle all this on my own. So you are a helper because, you know, you became a medic in the Air Force uh, on track with the PA stuff. And and now you're a helper for others going through cancer. Obviously, you never could have predicted that path. Does it feel sometimes like they're like you were destined to be a helper in this way? Well, definitely my entire life I've been that way because, like you said, I was a medic. Um, I wanted to learn all I could during my time as a medic to help people. And, uh, you know, I never wanted to be a person that didn't know what to do and was just standing there, you know, on the sideline, like, I don't know how to help these people. So learn as much as I can to help people. And of course, becoming a PA, that was my ultimate goal because I could help more people. But then I was put in this position with cancer and um, started noticing I am reaching a lot of people. I have friends from Africa, Australia, the United Kingdom, mm -hmm, China. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of think I was, you know, destined to help people like this. No matter right. what position I was put in, I would be that person or one of the many people that want to help people get through whatever they're going through. And all these side effects and these things I've been through, I take them as experience to help others. Because if I see somebody else going through the same thing, I'm like, hey, I've been there. 
you know, this potentially could happen to you too. All our bodies are different, but I'm here to help you. If you have questions, let me know because, hey, I've been there. You know, let's get through this together. Let's do it. So, Absolutely, man. And wow, it's fantastic. One of the things that I have been struggling with in my own cancer journey is that, you know, before cancer, BC, you know, I probably spent too much time thinking about this thing called the future, right? Like living and thinking what things would be like a year from now, five years from now, whatever, 20, 30 years from now, that way of thinking really gets blown out of the water when you get diagnosed with cancer. And so making that adjustment, I think has been hard because I do still think of the future, but there's just a lot of uncertainty wrapped in it. How have you approached that? And and when you think of the future, where does your mind go? Like you, you know, before cancer, you know, the future was, I'm going to be a PA. We're going to get stationed at these bases. You know, we have the baby on the way. It's going to be, you know, fantastic and all this stuff. We're going to see the world again, you know, with the, with the child this time. And then everything comes to a screeching halt. And, uh, at that point when the initial shock, it's like, I, what's the future? I don't even know what that is anymore. Right, right, right. (laughs) But, um, I don't like the word normalcy, but when something becomes normal like this, you know, you start going through your treatments and it becomes a routine. You're like, okay, I see where this is going. Basically, Mm -hmm. my idea of the future, I'm just thinking about that next step. And for me and my family, it's uh, being able to move down the road to uh, another town that has Christie's family so we can have that support and, uh, you know, have uh, the closeness of having a family with us. You know, during our entire military career, we've been all over the place and, you know, not being able to be near family. But now we had opportunity to live in the same town as in that is my future plan. That is what the goal is right now is love getting it. to move and yeah. be with that family. I love it. And I love the concept of breaking things down into small chunks. <laughs> the next treatment, the next move that, you know, that it's because when you step back and you think about things beyond that, it's, it's overwhelming. And I feel like that matches up with this idea of men being problem oriented. I think that matches up with that, right? Like, okay, here's the problem right now at hand. And it sounds like the move is dealing with one problem, which is that you'd like to have more connection and support with Christie's family and making this move will solve that. Yeah, just so Ari can be around family members more and everything like that too. So, <laughs> Awesome. If people are out there listening and they have cancer or they have a loved one with cancer, um, let's just think about them for a minute and think about think about all those people who are going through it, who are in the fight. And I'd love it if you would give some folks some, some parting words about your approach and some goodwill towards the folks out there listening. Sure. Um, you know, we know there's a whole bunch of people out there dealing with cancer, not only the patients, but the caregivers. And, you know, sometimes the caregivers have a much harder role than the patient because they're dealing with so much. So we always think about them Mm -hmm. and, um, sometimes they're forgotten. That's sad, but we always have to, uh, as people like me and you and other people in our support groups, you know, we just have to remember them because they are they are going through this too. And sometimes they might feel uh, helpless watching their family member go through this, but uh, they're very important people to remember and to support as well. As far as going through this journey, like I've said, you know, if you're new to this and you just got diagnosed, absorb the shock. It is uh, it is hard. Yeah. It knocks you on your knees. You can take uh, a day, a week, a month, you know, just, get up slowly and you're going to make a plan for treatment and you're going to go through it. Grab those hands of those people that want to support you. Like what we talked about, if you need help, get help. Don't delay it. If you're in that mindset where you think you're going to give up, don't. This is a long journey. This isn't going to be one in a day. 
this is my mindset is this is a war. Each treatment's a battle, and we go through that battle. We may win, we may lose, but no matter what, we push forward. And I want all of y'all to do that as well. This year has been tough. These times are tough. All this COVID and everything else, us having cancer, it has been hard. But keep your heads up. Keep holding on to those people that are supporting you. If you need more support, reach out to us. Reach out to other people. And uh, just don't stop. Don't stop fighting this. This may seem like you can't do it, but you can. Every day, just keep your head up, put your armor on, go to war. And uh, like I say, never ever quit. And faith, family, and fight. I love you all. Goosebumps, man. Goosebumps. Uh, Beautifully said. And I am so thankful. Uh, I love you, brother. And I am thankful. I love you too. Thank you for this chance. I'm a better person because I got to to meet you, Jared. And um, uh, in the fight with you for now and, and forever, man. And, uh, I hope to, I mean, I would love to bring you back on soon. Uh, we should plan for this again. Yes, sir. I will uh, definitely be there. And like I said, I'm humbled by this opportunity. I'm glad you gave it to me. Thanks for listening to the man up to cancer podcast. If you want to get behind our mission, you can connect with us, subscribe to our email list and check out our other content at manuptocancer.com. And if you know a man struggling with the isolation that cancer can bring, let him know about us. The Wolfpack Doors are always open.